Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. If you're familiar with your Bible and you've read through the book of Revelation, you'd see in chapter 3 a church known as Laodicea. We know that they are a church that is rich. Much like us, we are rich. 80% of the world is poorer than someone listening to my voice right now in America. Let me give you an example. Recently I was driving and realized, hey, my car needs gas. Turns out there's 12, 13 places that I can get gas locally where I'm at. Now gas is like $3 a gallon. It feels like highway robbery to fill the tank. And let's say, though, that I go and I bought one gallon of gas. I can waste $3 and not think twice about it. I can travel 20 or 30 miles in mere minutes. Now, back when Revelation 3 was being written, they would have killed to be able to exchange something that was practically worthless to travel 20 or 30 miles like we do and don't even think about it. My car is made from parts all over the world. I don't even know where all the parts came from. My money paid for hundreds, if not thousands of people all around the world to mine the materials, to move the materials, to cast and mold the materials, to design the car, to have something that will drive me around for thousands of miles. I just want to focus on 20 miles, 30 miles, one gallon of gas. So imagine the church at Laodicea. They are rich. But even the kings of that time didn't have anything like you and I have. To go 20, 30 miles, they were looking at investing days on a horse. There was nothing they could do with all their wealth to have what you and I do today and take totally for granted. Listen to what is said to that church. Picking up in verse 15, it says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm... Neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need anything. But do you realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? I counsel you to buy from me the gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, a spiritual richness. And and white clothes to wear, continuing on verse 18, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and put salve on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in. God is saying that we are rich, but what it's done is made us focus on the wrong kind of economy. We've got a a whole show on God's economy. I'd encourage you to go to our website, vowstokeep.com, and check it out. But we've become a people who are lukewarm in our marriages. Many men struggle with pornography. Women do as well. Is your struggle with porn or is it with purity? Find out on today's episode of Vows to Keep Radio, the show where you get sound biblical counsel that you can apply immediately to your marriage. We're your hosts, David and Tracy Sellers of Vows to Keep. Tracy and I are biblical marriage counselors, authors, teachers, radio hosts, and conference speakers. 
If you want to get back to being on fire for God and a spouse with a passionate purity, you're definitely in the right place. Too many of us are fighting a battle against pornography, and we don't realize the battle is actually for purity inside of marriage. That is what we should aspire for, not just an avoidance of pornography, but a pursuit of marital purity. If you missed the last broadcast, I would encourage you to go check that out. Because as we talked about, God designed sex to be enjoyed inside of marriage, not only for our pleasure, but as a measure of protection against temptation outside of our marriage. But also, as you'll learn in today's broadcast, tell the truth about God's design for marriage. And we'll close out this message today with answering the question, what do we do if this isn't how my marriage looks? What do I do if pornography has a greater hold on me than the affection that should be within my marriage? Last week, I closed by talking about how Satan uses shame for our destruction. And I I shared about a couple that came to vows to keep. Now, before they came, the husband had, had been a believer for a very short period of time and And he found out his wife was having an affair. Talk about the ultimate test of your faith. Everything within him wanted to leave her. Now, when the affair came to light, the problems didn't stop there. Although she was remorseful of that, she continued to go from one sin to the next sin. And it was at that point that we began to meet with them and met with them for the course of about eight months. And And at the end of our time together, she said something that was very, very insightful. She said, when I believed I was condemned, I had no reservations about leaping into the next sin. But once I had repented, once I got myself right before God and I sought forgiveness and I accepted Jesus' mercy and grace in my life and he was my savior, I realized he could change me. And I talked about how different she lives, and and it's true. Some of us started out very wrong. Some of us turned down a path that went wrong. It's not too late to repent, to head down a new path, a path of restoration. Romans 8 talks about that Christian that's repented, and it says in that passage that there's no longer condemnation. So what stops you from having a passionate pursuit for your wife? Too many of us are just like this woman. The past failures propel us into more failures. Now others, (laughs) we're living under this fake Christian social pressure. A pressure I think Satan uses to get us to tone it down publicly. Can I ask you to check your theology? God didn't give you a gift to hide. Don't let Satan's contrived shame tone down a passionate pursuit for your wife. Because a wife who's not pursued is a woman who's in survival mode. Let me say that again. Don't let Satan's contrived shame tone down a passionate pursuit for your husband. Because a husband who's not pursued is a husband living in survival mode. We've all seen the movies. They, of course, always feature this married couple who's not getting any. And then there's these freewheeling single people hooking up and having fun. Meanwhile, we forget who's really doing the talking 
These are actors. They are just pawns in a game. Satan is selling his lies. The actors are acting. They get paid to make it look good. How many Hollywood marriages do you know that are making it? The same could be said of the people that are in pornographic pictures and videos. The funny thing is we all see the failures. It's obvious to us that this is not going to end well, but we don't connect the dots to a mission that you and I have to refute it as Christian married people. Have you ever thought about that fact that Satan actually wants us as Christians to live a lie? To show that God's gift of pure intimacy in marriage, oh, it's not that good. Because if it was, wouldn't we shout it from the rooftops? God's way is awesome. You've got to believe it. No, no. No, Satan wants us to show that marriage is where love goes to die. It's better out there. Purity inside of marriage, that means nothing. Satan wants us as Christians to feel timid about talking about a passionate purity even inside of marriage. And we don't realize it, but we're doing exactly what pleases Satan. There was a secular survey done titled, What Keeps Men and Women Sexually Satisfied? And people responded from Brazil, Germany, Japan, Spain, and the United States. And the average age of the people that were surveyed was mid-50s, and most of their relationships averaged about 25 years in length. Now, men in this survey had over double the sexual partners than women. The average was 11.9 sexual partners, and for women, it was 4.9. But here's the interesting thing that this survey revealed, and that was that more partners directly predicted less sexual satisfaction. Can you imagine that? Frequent sex with one person is the most satisfied kind of marriage. So it turns out God's way is right. What? Why isn't this in the headlines? I've got a newsflash for you. It's because God made your marriage to be the media outlet, broadcasting this truth into all the lives of all of the people that are around us. You see, Satan wants to ruin the testimony of a godly marriage to your kids and eventually to your grandkids. And as I said, some of us are proving Satan right. I rarely ever saw my parents kiss. And if I did, it was a peck. I never saw them flirt. It looked cold most of the time in their marriage. At best, I saw two friends. And years later, when I talked to my dad about this, he said to me, you know what? What you saw in my marriage was exactly what I saw in my parents' marriage. And I picture Satan approaching my son and saying, has God really said you can't have sex? And my son's saying, no, no, God, God didn't say that. I just need to be married. It's not just for married couples. Come on. God's withholding something from you. And if you're worried about it, use birth control. We're talking about two consenting people. This isn't hurting anyone. Now, my hope is that my son knows Satan's lies. We talked about that last time, about the Garden of Eden and the lies that Satan tells. But my hope is also that my son knows that God's design for marriage is generous. It's protective because he's seen how passionate Tracy and I are. No, he's not seen things he shouldn't. And, and we're not a perfect marriage, but from the time he was a baby, it was normal that we would French kiss, that I would swing her into a dance move in Walmart, that I would grab her body and pull her close in the kitchen, that I would say to her what a gift from God that she is, that I would say how hot she is, that I'd grab her butt, that we'd say to the kids, you know what, mom and dad, we're going to go hang out in our room for the next hour. 
and then we'd come back smiling. This is where it goes for me, a good thing to help my marriage to a living testimony. Yeah, my goal has been to model God's design for marriage and to model God's passion for a wife. And, and then when the time came to talk with them about sex, this was a conversation that fit with the narrative that they had been seeing for years. Passionate pursuit was not a dirty secret in our house. Sex is a provision and a protection for your marriage and a testimony that your kids need to combat the lies of Satan. So husbands, I want to ask you, does your wife see a passion from you? Because if you look like two roommates, this isn't just something that's bad for your marriage. It's something that says what you believe is important. Some of you know she's no longer your passion. He's no longer your passion. You've moved on. Guess what? God is not honored in that. And your spouse is left in a terrible position. For some of you, your spouse is your passion, but you're afraid, even ashamed to show it. Let God's gift be put on display. Others, unforgiveness has killed passionate pursuit. Can I implore you to make time to pursue getting right before God and right with your spouse? Or the last category, and this would be the one I'd hope you'd be, your spouse is feeling your pursuit. You keep God first, but your spouse knows that they are second in your life because of how you treat them. As we shift gears, we're going to move to talk about what do we do if this isn't where we are? Some that are listening are saying, yeah, yeah. When it comes to a passionate purity in our marriage, on a scale of one to 10, we're a two. We're not, we're not a marriage that's displaying Christ's passion. Maybe we're a four or a six. Maybe we're even an eight, but we aren't where we could be. So now what? To answer that question, I think we have to first ask the question, what was the reason that we got married? Because for many of us, there's a purpose problem. Let me give you an example of what I mean. And I'm going to use the first purpose problem that I experienced in my own life. You see, when I was a kid, I dreamed of being a race car driver. Sixth grade career day, I said, I want to be like Daryl Waltrip. Now, in some ways, I was actually able to realize this dream because by the time I was 22 years old, I had been doing a lot of racing. I had won a state championship. I was at the top of what I could achieve where I lived. But that was when my hopes and dreams collided with my purpose. Now, now carefully follow this. You see, I met Tracy Lewis. It wasn't that Tracy Lewis was the purpose. No. In fact, what it was is that the calling that God had put on my life to minister to marriages went from something that he was continually laying on my heart from the time I was 13 to suddenly being a reality. You see, on my second date with Tracy, we were talking about what would become vows to keep. So it was on our second date, the summer of 2000, we realized we were both called to do the same thing. We talked about doing events and, and preaching and teaching. We talked about a radio ministry and the dream of racing cars suddenly went stale. I, I knew it wasn't a wrong dream, but boy, I was not going to sacrifice God's will in my life to minister to marriages to go pursue racing. Now, every wrong behavior, I believe, begins by believing a lie. The lie in my life could have been that racing cars was what I was born to do. And I know lots of guys that have believed that lie. Most of us married the girl to get something that we wanted. 
This is where I'm talking about purpose. And too many of us actually still live in that lie. We would say publicly, oh yeah, the purpose of my marriage, that's to honor God. I want a Christ-centered marriage. But in fact, why we got married and what we hope for today, I want a me-centered marriage. My idol is sexual fulfillment. And if you're helping me to get that, I want you. If you're an obstacle to me getting that, you know what? I don't want you. Lies dictate how I invest my time, my energy, my money. Those lies impact what I plan for, what I expect. And all of this has got consequences. Because if I'm believing a lie about the purpose of my marriage, and then what I've expected hasn't been delivered, then most of us deduce that this marriage is where I went wrong. It's, it's not the lies, it's not the expectations that I went into this marriage with that were wrong. No, the problem is the spouse that you gave me, God. And it's right here in this moment that the purity problem in our marriage becomes a pornography problem. We're fighting the wrong fight. It's not about withholding ourselves from the temptations of the world. It's about being in pursuit of God. It's about being in pursuit of a God-honoring marriage. It's about enjoying the fruit that comes from that. It's about two people working to display the truth of God's design for marriage. To arm the next generation, not just with hollow words that, that says what we think they should hear, but with evidence that they can see. So if your marriage isn't about you and, and what you want and And if I'm not getting what I want out of this anyhow, what's the point? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Let's go look at the purpose of marriage from a biblical perspective. And to do that, I want to turn to Ephesians 5. We're going to skip around in in verse 21 through 32. I don't have time to read it all, unfortunately, but it starts out really strong. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I'll hit the highlights again. I don't have time to read it all, but God gave men and women different roles and responsibilities, but he gave them equal value in this marriage. God calls men to love and to lead, to passionately pursue that girl. And God calls women to respect and to support that man. And then Paul says, there is a parallel between a husband and a wife doing what they're doing and a God-honoring way, and Jesus and the church. And this parallel is a big deal. I feel like Paul's saying it's a huge mystery, but I don't even pretend to understand it myself, but I know it's true. The mystery, though, reveals this. When we have a marriage with a husband who dies to himself and a wife who works to serve, like we as a church are called to serve Jesus, we display a love inside of that marriage, a unity inside of that marriage, a passion inside of that marriage that tells the truth to the world about who Jesus is. You see, we live in a world where people need to know that Jesus is in love with them, that it's not going to be their merit that gets them into heaven, not going to be how Jesus feels about them today that it may change tomorrow. No, Jesus is passionately in love with the people that you're going to intersect with. When you show a passionate love to your spouse, not because they deserve it, not because they've earned it, 
you have the opportunity to show what Jesus looks like. And they ask you, how are you still doing that for being married for 20, 30 years? Can I introduce you to the inspiration of all of this? His name is Jesus. You do what Paul talks about, and she will want to pursue you, men. You do what Paul talks about, wives, and your husband will want to pursue you. And I, and I can picture some of you saying, no, listen, I've done this. I've done this and it doesn't work. Well, here's what I've seen from personal experience counseling many, many couples. Most of us do it just long enough to get the results that we want. We don't even do this to please God. It's to please me. Some of us are not on a path to pursue our spouse. It's not a Jesus kind of love. It's an acceptance based upon a performance. We give affection based upon their merit. Our actions are based upon how I feel right now. Our rejections are because of their weaknesses. And as I read Ephesians 5, I see it as a privilege to love like Christ loves the church. Jesus was passionate in his pursuit of his bride, the church. In parallel, husband, you are to be in passionate pursuit of your wife. Your role is to make your spouse's life great. So how do you do that? First, you need to seek to know the Lord, to have an amazingly tight relationship with him. Second, seek to line everything up in your life with the word of God and watch for those lies that Satan throws out there because they will affect every part of your life, especially the passionate intimacy of your marriage. Next, ask for forgiveness. Be current with each other when it comes to forgiveness. Talk like God asks you to talk to your spouse. If there is sarcasm, if there is resentment in your marriage, make it right now. Don't let today end until you've dealt with that in your marriage. Apologize. And finally, love with Christ's love. Go today and read Ephesians 5. It's packed with powerful things. Seek to understand your spouse's role and all the struggles associated with it. Verbalize, especially in times of failure and discouragement. Man, I accept you. I love you. I desire you. Verbalize your need for your spouse and back that up by sharing your failures, sharing your need for accountability, sharing the hopes and dreams you have, and even those things that you know you've got to change because you've put them too important in your life. You've pursued them ahead of what God has asked you to pursue. God first, your marriage second, your children after that. Boy, go and notice and praise all the things that they're doing. Be willing to help them work through the hardest of things. In our marriage, I meant looking for those times where I needed to jump in and discipline our kids to give her the break. It was talking through the relationships that might have created a lot of tension in her life. It was talking about the fears that she had. Be patient, though, because nourishing and cherishing and pouring into your marriage is a lifelong process. One of God's main goals in your marriage is that you would help your spouse to grow closer to Christ, to look more like Him. And the best way you can do that is to be a model of Christ yourself. It comes in the hundreds of little interactions that you have with your husband or your wife every day of the week. They need to know and understand God's love for them because they see it coming through you. You need to be so close to Christ that you can't help 
but want to give that love away. Because the outcome of that is a wife and her husband who know they are unconditionally loved and a passion in the bedroom that is a culmination of everything that God designed marriage to be. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.